BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Hyder, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business, or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dream Bigger Podcast. If you're new here, I'm your host, Sif, and I am so excited that you've tuned in. So I have quite the interview for you today. Sometimes I get to interview people whose work has had such an instrumental impact on my own life and whose work I always share with the people closest to me actually with everyone, forget people who are close to me. And today's guest, Dr. Michael Bruce is one such person. He is known as a sleep doctor and his entire philosophy is, you know, how to optimize sleep. And he has come up with this thing called sleep chronotypes, which has been so helpful for me. And you'll learn all about it during today's interview. So basically sleep chronotypes tell you when for you is best to go to sleep, wake up, and beyond that, even things like meal times, when to exercise, when to schedule creative time, your meeting, social functions, A to Z. And it is not some woo-woo shit. Like this is some serious stuff that works. So today's interview is really interesting because we get into sleep chronotypes, which is amazing. And also this week's hot tip. So go to the power of when.quiz, find out your sleep chronotype and you learn all about it in today's chat. But beyond that, we discuss things like how to optimize sleep, like how you can build better habits, what sleep does for overall productivity. Because I feel like in today's time, I guess there's a lot of conversation around hustle culture and productivity, but we just don't talk enough about how sleep plays such a critical role in our overall productivity. So today's conversation brings you just that. And, you know, Dr. Michael Bruce works with a lot of highly kind of high achieving people. And it's, it's a really interesting conversation. So I hope you guys love it. Before we get into the conversation, I want to bring you guys this week's review. It comes from Stanza M and she says, always fabulous content. Every time I listen to an episode, I am always left with inspiration and a ton of notes. Such great content, Sif. 
Thank you so much, Stanza. And thank you to every one of you who takes the time to rate and review the show. Honestly, if you have five seconds, this would mean the world to me. Just scroll down to the bottom of your Apple podcast app. You may have it open right now and leave the show a rating and a review. It helps me understand what you love and it helps the show get a lot more exposure so I can continue to bring on awesome guests just like Dr. Michael Bruce. So with that, let's hop into today's show. I hope you guys love it as much as I loved recording it. The first question I like to ask my guests is, what was your big dream when you were growing up? Oh, wow. My big dream when I was growing up. Huh. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I, I came from a very interesting background. My parents got divorced when I was very young and I mm-hmm. lived just with my dad and I'm an only child. So for me, a lot of it was just making it through, <laughs> you know, just having enough resources. I did not come from a highly resourced family. So mm-hmm. I, I think my big dream was going to college, maybe becoming a doctor, something along those lines. In my family, it was, you're either a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. Those were the three choices. Being a doctor, I think, was certainly one of those dreams uh, that I wanted to be. And then, honestly, I always liked drama, and I always enjoyed the stage. So it's kind of like I've combined those two things now, because I do a lot of medical work, but I also do a lot of television work. So I guess I'm kind of living my dream, if you, if you think about it like that. That is really cool. So then what got you interested in sleep specifically? Like, was it always something that you were, you know, like you kind of were like curious about? No, not at all. In all honesty, it was kind of weird. So I have a PhD in clinical psychology. And uh, at the end of that, what you do is you do what's called a residency. So you go someplace and you practice for about a year. And when you're doing that, practicing for a year, there are several different programs inside of the internship or the residency. So I was really gunning to be a sports psychologist. So I was working, I got my PhD at the University of Georgia, and my goal was to become, you know, the guy that works with the professional athletes and the teams and do all that kind of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, the best internship in the country for what I was looking for was at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I couldn't get in. I went to the University of Georgia, which was a top 20 program, but they only accepted the Harvards and the Yales and the Princetons of the group. Um, and I just didn't go to Harvard. But they had a sleep specialty that nobody was applying for. And I had right. worked my way through graduate school fixing those types of machines. I'm kind of a wonky engineering kind of guy. I like to take stuff apart and put it back together. So I sold myself as a sleep guy, thinking once I got there, I would just transfer into the sports psychology program. And to be very honest with you, by the third day, I absolutely fell in love with clinical sleep medicine and I knew I would never change my path. I help people like this. It's unbelievable how quickly you can change somebody's life by changing their sleep. It's so true. And I also have to add that like, I know you'd wanted to go into like the sports psychology, but I feel like you almost came like full circle because you do help a lot of like highly functional individuals. So I think that that's really interesting. So I feel like today in, you know, modern times, there's a lot of talk about like, you know, hustle culture. So it's things like productivity hacks and how to work smarter. But I feel like there is, not enough conversation about how 
sleep really is part of that story and like how it has such a massive impact on overall productivity. So I want to go back to basics here and I want to ask you, what is the role of sleep in the life of someone who is a highly functional individual? Like why should they be paying attention to sleep to begin with? Yeah. So sleep affects every organ system and every disease state. Literally everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. And Mm -hmm. it's not just one good night's sleep. It's a consistent good night's sleep. The data has actually become very clear on this. Sleep deprivation, which is different for each person, right? So as an example, I go to bed around midnight. I wake up around 6.15. That's my routine. My wife, If she did that, she'd be sleep deprived because she goes to bed at 11 and wakes up at seven. Notice I'm fine, no caffeine, plenty of energy this morning. She would be dragging it if she only got six hours of sleep. So it's number one, it's a personal definition. Number two, if you get sleep deprived, it affects you in three major areas, especially for people who are interested in optimization and productivity. Number one, physical. For guys, we know that testosterone dumps by almost a third. In terms of being sleep deprived, we know that that energy level from testosterone really starts to come down quite a bit. Number two in physical, reaction time. If you drive a car, if you have a forklift, if you do any physical labor, you are almost a third less reactive when you are sleep deprived. I mean, think about that. A car is coming out of nowhere type of thing. You need to be really on the spot for something like that. From a cognitive perspective, which I know a lot of optimizers are really interested in, you can't get any better than a good night's sleep. It affects memory. It affects attention. It affects focus. It affects everything, every skill set that you would require in order to be productive. And quite frankly, almost any job out there, whether it's a physical job or it's a highly taxing mental job, all of that requires focus, attention, memory, all of which are dramatically affected by sleep. And then of course, emotionally, you're dramatically affected when you're not sleeping. My daughter, um, who just uh, matriculated to college, um, uses a great term. She said, dad, when people don't sleep well, they're grumpy fish, right? Like it's perfect, right? It makes perfect sense to me. Like I know exactly what she's talking about. Depression is worse, anxiety is worse. And to be fair, if you uh, suffer from or under treatment for any type of a mental health issue, if you are sleep deprived, your mental health issue is worse, I guarantee it. Yeah, it's so true. And I feel like I I loved your book because I think that it's amazing that someone who kind of focuses on productivity and like kind of like how sleep seeps into everything. So before we go any further, I want to ask, what are chronotypes? Like, I, you know, this is what drew me to your work. And I would love if you could share a little bit more about that. So a lot of people may not have heard the term chronotype, but they have heard of the concept. So if anybody out there who's listening has ever uh, been called an early bird or a night owl, those are chronotypes. Here's the thing that's so fascinating. They're genetic. So you're born with your chronotype. It turns out that there's what's called a mutation or a SNP, which stands for a single nucleotide polymorphism. So on your DNA strain, it, it has these building blocks that go in a very particular order. Well, sometimes if that order gets messed up, it can cause a reaction. That's what a chronotype is. And so I can look at your 23andMe data or your Ancestry.com data, and I can tell you if your body wants to get up early and go to bed early, which is about 10% of people, I call those lions, which is who you are, right? My early bird lion for sure. So lions are my go-getters. They're my COOs usually. Um, These are the people that like to get stuff 
done. They'll make a list every day and go from step one to step two to step three to step four. Like you're looking at your list, aren't you? Right. Is it right there (laughs) next to you? Yep. See, exactly. Exactly. Right. Hey guys, it's me, Chriselle Lim, co-founder and CMO of Bumo. As a busy working parent myself, I felt like there was a lack of options for parents and I personally needed more support. So that's what we're doing here on Being Bumo. We're here to make your life easier, a little less stressful, and help you navigate through this complex thing called parenting. So subscribe now to Being Bumo at applepodcast.com slash beingbumo or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, gotta go. See you guys soon. That's how lions think. It's almost militant. It's like bing, bing, bing. And they get, uh, you know, they like checking stuff off on the list. It makes them feel good. They only make up 15% of the population. Probably a lot of your listeners are lions would be my guess. Bears are folks that are in the middle. These are solar sleepers. Go to bed around 10, wake up around 7-ish, maybe 6.30, something along those lines. They don't like early mornings but these are great people. These are people who love to get work done. These are the people that make stuff happen. My lions are good at organizing and managing people, but my bears are the ones who actually get the work done. And kind of interestingly, they make up almost 50% of the population. So one in two people is a bear. Our night owls, I call them wolves. I am a night owl. I never go to bed before midnight, ever, ever. Now, I will tell you that that has started to change a little bit. I'm 53 years old, and I'm starting to see my melatonin shift a little bit. This is normal, by the way. Everybody actually goes through all of the chronotypes over the course of their lifetime. So I'm I'm a wolf, which is that night owl creature person. Um, We have a tendency to be very creative. We have a tendency to be artists or actors or uh, people like that. We oftentimes are the life of the party, but we usually don't show up to the party until like 11 o'clock at night. If we make a list, we don't go from step one to step two. We go from step one to step 12 to step 74. And it makes perfect sense in our brains, but it makes no sense in anybody else's brain. And they make up about 15%. And then my uh, contribution to the literature was a new chronotype called a dolphin. What I discovered early on is that my insomnia patients actually had a chronotype but it wasn't listed with the other chronotypes. So I actually found the genetics and put it all together into this book. And so what's fun about it is you can take a quiz and you can figure out very quickly which one of those four chronotypes you are. Then it gets interesting. So just like you and I were talking earlier, you get all your friends to take the quiz. You get all your family to take the quiz. Mm -hmm. Then you have the secret key because then you can actually know, hey, this person's going to be in a good mood because they're a lion at you know 7 a.m. after they've exercised. I'm going to ask them for a favor then, as opposed to it's nine o'clock at night, they're about to go to bed and I'm going to bring up an emotional topic, right? And so it becomes a communication tool, which honestly, we never really expected. We really just wanted to give people some interesting lifestyle hacks that they could utilize based on their biology. And now it's turned into a way of life. So it's kind of cool. It is really cool. And you know, I've started employing a lot of the the kind of suggestions you have for chronotypes, right? Like, so what is like the best creative time or like, you know, when should you wake up? Like what, like what time? And like, for me as a lion, like I could totally relate to that section in your book that talks about like, I struggle to stay up later and that's kind of an issue uh, during social functions. So things like that, like shifting your lifestyle around. So I think it's really fascinating and super helpful. So I, I mean, I'm a fan. So 
the thing is that as I've gotten a lot of people to do these quizzes is I think like a lot of people who come off as one chronotype can actually be another. So for example, I actually thought my husband was a wolf, right? And then when he was doing the quiz, we discovered that he's a bear and that he's actually like more optimized to work in the morning and afternoon, like just like bears typically are. But like he would just stay up later because his it's kind of like bad sleep habits. So if someone is trying to kind of get to their optimal sleep times and just like how to optimize sleep? Like what are the things that they can do today? So there's two issues I want to address here. Number one is within the bear chronotype, we've now Mm -hmm. had over a million people take the quiz and Mm -hmm. we've discovered that there are two types of bears. There are early bears and there are late bears and your husband might be a late bear. So they have a tendency to want to stay up a little bit later Mm-hmm. But if they follow the bear schedule during the daytime, they actually function a whole lot better. So yeah. we actually, I've got an article out on the website called hybrids um, mm-hmm. and what to do if you are a late bear or an early bear. So you can actually change your bedtime a little bit as a bear. You really don't want to change it much as a lion or as a wolf or as a dolphin, but as a bear, you can definitely shift it a little bit. So that's number one. Number two, what I tell people all the time is if the, let's say that the sleep schedule doesn't exactly fit you, remember everybody's a little bit different, like my Mm -hmm. wife versus me type of thing, move it by 15 minutes in either direction, right? So let's say that for a bear schedule, it says go to bed at 1030, wake up at seven for an, as, as an example, to get seven and a half hours sleep. I might say for your husband, let's rotate that by 15 minutes. So let's have him go to bed at 1045 and wake up at 745 and just see how he does right? And that's where you can play a little bit. So that's usually what I'm recommending for people. Always Mm -hmm. start out staying up later as opposed to going to bed earlier because it's much easier to stay up later than it is to go to bed early. So interesting. So I like something you said was really, really interesting. You said that you sleep from 12 a.m. to 6.15 a.m. And I know in the book as well, you talk about I guess, like the myth of the eight hours. So can we get into that a little bit? Like where did this even come from and why is it false? So one of the things that we know is eight hours is a myth. And the easiest way for me to show that to you is looking at the average numbers. So as an example, we know that the average sleep cycle, which is going from wake to stage one and two, down into stage three, four, back to two and on into REM sleep, that kind of little dance maneuver takes about 90 minutes on average. Okay. Mm -hmm. Most people have five of those sleep cycles. So five times 90 is 450 minutes divided by 60 is only seven and a half hours. So like the math doesn't even work on eight hours. Okay. So people do this all the time is they're looking for this one rule that they've got to follow. No. If there's one rule that you're going to follow, here's the rule. You pick your wake-up time and get up at the same time seven days a week. If I told you to just do one thing to fix your sleep, it would be wake up at the same time seven days a week. It would have the largest effect across everything. Now, to be fair, it would suck, right? I mean, there's nothing fun about waking up at you know 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning if that's your time that you normally wake up. But it keeps your circadian rhythm consistent. And the more consistent you are with your circadian rhythm, the easier it is to predict times of productivity, times for leisure, times for intimacy, times to eat. All of these can be very highly regulated and become much more efficient. 
What most high performers are looking for is time. They're not looking for more money. They already figure out how to make money. They're looking for time. And so what they want is they want to say, whatever activity I'm doing, I want to do it in the shortest, most efficient amount of time. So that way I get back some time to do other things that I want to do. And so in a lot of cases, they look at sleep and they say, oh, eight hours, what a waste of time. I would agree. I can tell you right now, if you follow your chronotypical sleep schedule, you actually will condense your overall quantity of sleep while raising the quality of that sleep. This is exactly what I do with every single high performer that comes to my practice. As I say, number one, we got to figure out what your chronotype is. Number two, we got to get you sleeping in that chronotypical swim lane. And they're all like, come on, I can't really do that. It doesn't work in my schedule. And I'm like, look, this is my method. Do it or don't. But if you try it for 60 days, I can guarantee you, you're going to have more energy. You're going to have more focus and you're going to have better sleep. And so they all try it. And at the end of 60 days, they all are like, yeah, you were, you were right, Michael. <laughs> you know, if I had just shut up and listened to you to begin with, I probably would have done okay. So then, I mean, you talk about like waking up at the same time seven days a week. What is someone to do if they're going out on a Friday night and they sleep really late? There's a lot of different things that can happen, but you know, you pay the price, right? And so it's like, look, if you want to stay out until two o'clock in the morning and party and, you know, and, and drink with your buddies, I don't have a problem with that. But if your time is 6.30 in the morning, get your ass up at 6.30 in the morning. Okay, like that's how it works. You'll very quickly meter yourself. You'll very quickly say, okay, you know what? I got to get up at 6.30 because I want to function for the, the next week. I don't want it because here's what happens. It's something called social jet lag. So what happens is, is you, you stay up late Friday, sleep in on Saturday, stay up late on Saturday, sleep in on Sunday. What do you think your brain wants to do Sunday night? Stay up late. And this mm-hmm. is why Mondays suck, right? Yeah. Is because we've, we've caused this, this artificial shift, almost like jet lag. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now our body is tuned to a different time come Monday morning. Again, keeping that level of consistency is the easiest way to actually improve your sleep quality. So then if someone does stay up late, right? Like say, for example, their typical bedtime is 1030. They stay up till midnight on um, or like, I don't know, like 1 a.m. or whatever it is on a Friday or a Saturday. What are some practical tips that you may have to have them feel like less groggy the next day? Like if they do wake up at their wake up time. Right. So there's a couple of rules that I have for people who just can't help but stay up late. Mm -hmm. So number one, do not drink alcohol to stay up late the night before, because that's going to give you even more poor quality sleep. You're already getting poor quantity. You don't Mm -hmm. want to change the quality. So stop drinking alcohol two to three hours before bed. That usually cuts people down pretty quick and they want to go to bed a lot earlier, just to be very honest with you. But again, understanding that alcohol and sleep relationship becomes very, very important. Number two, you always want to get a minimum of five and a half hours of sleep. So if you normally wake up at 6.30 and you're out till two, I'm going to tell you to get up at 7.30 instead, because I want you to get that minimum of five and a half hours. Number three, if you do get that minimum or anything close to it, do not drive a vehicle. Do not get behind the wheel of anything. You are too tired to drive. The fourth thing that you want to look at is caffeine use during the daytime of that next day. A lot of people will just start down in the coffee or the energy drinks to try to give themselves energy. It's really not the best idea. If you need a little caffeine, I'm fine with that. 
you need to stop caffeine by about 2 p.m. The final thing that everybody does that they shouldn't do is do not, I repeat, do not go to bed early. That is the biggest problem. Everybody's like, oh my God, I'm so exhausted. I only got five and a half hours last night. They go to bed early and their circadian rhythms are not ready for it. And what ends up happening is they, they either fall asleep for like 30 minutes to an hour and then they wake up and then they're pissed off the rest of the night or they lie there and they never fall asleep. So don't go to bed early. Go to bed at your normal or as close to your normal bedtime as possible. But if you follow those rules, you can stay up, you know, let's say Friday night and recover by Saturday and be fine by Monday. Okay, so I have two follow-up questions regarding both alcohol and coffee. First and foremost, like what is the impact of sleep on alcohol? Because typically when you drink, you do feel sleepy. So uh, like, can you elaborate on this a little bit? Absolutely. So alcohol's effects on sleep are directly related to amount and how close to lights out it is ingested, right? So number one, alcohol almost destroys stage three, four sleep, which is your physical restoration. The closer you drink to lights out, the worse it has an effect. Does alcohol make us feel sleepy? It does, but it really what it does is it actually lowers our anxiety um, and it gives us that buzzed feeling. Here's the problem. Once you go past two drinks, you're screwed. So what happens is, is you drink one drink, you're okay. You drink the second drink and you get buzzed. When you get buzzed, your brain says, there's a toxin in here and I don't know why. So I'm going to elevate something called cortisol to give me more alertness. So now you're an energetic drunk. This is not good for going to bed, right? So you want to avoid that cortisol bump by not drinking more than two drinks. Also, remember, alcohol is a diuretic. It makes you have to pee. Once you break the seal and you pee, pee once, you're peeing all night long. So do yourself a favor and drink for every glass of alcohol, drink one glass of water. This avoids this dehydration and avoids you consuming more alcohol unexpectedly just to become hydrated. So if you have one glass of wine, drink one glass of water. And by the way, it takes the average human one hour to digest one alcoholic beverage. So you would wait one hour. If you have two glasses of wine, you'd have two glasses of water and wait two hours. I would argue you want to stop there. You don't want to go above two glasses. But to be fair, how many glasses of wine do you need during dinner? You know what I'm saying? Like there's, mm -hmm. a, there's a social aspect to it. I get it. But if you're going out to get hammered, that's a very different story than going out and having a glass of wine or two with your meal. So I think the guidelines can work quite well for people um, as a generalized rule. Here's what I say. Stop drinking alcohol three hours before bed and you're probably just fine. Okay. So then basically if someone is drinking and they finish their last drink by 9 PM, say, yeah. And so then they, sh they can go to bed then by 12 and not have any issues. Exactly. And then is the effect of alcohol the same, even if you've just had one glass, like a glass of wine or a glass of whiskey or whatever it is? And it has a lot to do with your size, your weight, uh, male versus female, um, metabolism, age, history with alcohol. There's a whole host of different effects. And so mm -hmm. I always recommend to people, you know, be smart. Let me put it to you this way. There's a really big difference between going to sleep and passing out, right? Avoid passing out. Yeah. I mean, I think that's sound advice. So I want to go back to coffee because you said that you recommend people stop drinking coffee by 2 p.m., right? Like, why is that? So when we look at the half-life of coffee, what's interesting there is that coffee, uh, depending upon how quickly a metabolizer you are, is between six and eight hours. So I ask people to stop at two 
thinking if they're a longer metabolizer, like eight hours, that puts at least 50% of the caffeine out of their system by 10, which should allow them to be able to fall asleep. But to be very, very fair, I'd rather people didn't use a whole lot of caffeine if they could possibly avoid it. Um, I recently learned that the quarter life, so when 25% of the caffeine is still in your system, is 12 hours. Whoa. Right. So if you have your last cup of coffee at 9 a.m., 25% of that is still floating around at 9 p.m. in your body. Even though you don't feel it, you don't feel jittery, you don't feel energetic, that was long, long ago, it's still in there affecting your brain and potentially affecting your sleep. So I would tell most people, if you want to be a super high performer, caffeine's not going to do it for you. It's going to give you some small boosts along the way. But if you really want to do it right, be a good sleeper and then use caffeine strategically, right? So if you want to use caffeine before a big presentation or before a podcast or before a TV appearance or something like that, wonderful. No problems with that. Use a small dose. You want to use somewhere between 100 and 150 milligrams and you'll get exactly what you're looking for. But if you're having to use 250 milligrams, 300, you know, three cups of coffee every day to clear the brain fog, you got a bigger issue going on. You need some better sleep. And so then what about uh, first and foremost, like what does caffeine do to sleep? Like why does it kind of diminish your quality of sleep? So what it does is it actually fits into the recept, the exact same receptor sites as your adenosine receptors. And so when a cell eats a piece of glucose, something comes out the back end. It's called adenosine. Adenosine works its way through the system and then accumulates in your brain. As you have more adenosine, you get sleepier and sleepier and sleepier. If you look at the molecular structure of adenosine and the molecular structure of caffeine, they're off by one molecule. So what happens is, is when you put caffeine in the system, it fits into that receptor and it blocks the adenosine. So it blocks those feelings of sleep deprivation. That's how it works. Unfortunately, your brain will burn through caffeine at a pretty fast rate, and that's where the caffeine crash comes. So your brain burns through this caffeine and all that adenosine that was kind of waiting in the wings comes flooding in. And then you feel this overwhelming sense of sleepiness, which is actually the caffeine crash. So that's really how it works from a, from a neuroanatomical and biological standpoint. So then what about those people who can, or are there such people who can actually metabolize coffee like very quickly? Because, you know, there are people who drink coffee right before bed, like an espresso shot or whatever, and then they just sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So here's what I'll tell you is there are different caffeine sensitivities um, mm -hmm. that people have. And this has a lot to do with something called your P450 pathway. Inside your liver, there are certain enzymes that are secreted in order to deal with substances like caffeine and alcohol and toxins and things like that. So some people, you can actually get this tested, believe it or not. My doctor, my concierge doctor who, who deals with my health, she has a P450 pathway that is, uh, that is genetically modified uh, and she doesn't, caffeine doesn't affect her. She drinks an espresso before, this is my doctor, okay? She drinks an espresso before bed and falls asleep, no problem. And I've monitored her and I've been like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And when we finally went to look at these P450 pathways, we discovered she doesn't metabolize caffeine. It literally just goes right through her. So she's one of those very few people that can actually do that. Now, I, I will tell you that some people, they don't get, well, they do get addicted to caffeine, but I think they just get so, their body gets so adapted to it that it requires more and more caffeine to get any type of effect. There's actually mm -hmm. MRI data looking at people's brains and showing that if you've been using caffeine on a daily basis 
for more than about two to three years, your brain actually requires it to function. Wow. That's really, really fascinating. That's no bueno. Yeah, no, seriously. So then what about using coffee strategically? Because what you actually recommend is that you don't wake up first thing and have coffee, right? Like, why is that? So remember, sleep in and of itself is a dehydrative event. So most people lose somewhere between a half and full liter of water from sweat, oils, and the humidity in our breath. So what you don't want to do is add a diuretic. Remember, caffeine is also a diuretic like alcohol. So I'd rather hydrate, hydrate, hydrate first. And so in my morning routines, which I give to everybody, mm-hmm. I say it's three 15s. So when you wake up, it's 15 deep breaths. It's 15 ounces of uh, filtered water and it's 15 minutes of sunshine. You do those three things and your mornings will get better. I guarantee you. And so when should they be having their coffee in that case? So you want to wait 90 minutes after you wake up. So here's what happens in order to pull the brain out of a state of unconsciousness, you need two hormones, adrenaline and cortisol. And they both have to be pretty high. And when they do, they boom, wake you up. If you compared adrenaline and cortisol to caffeine, it would be like comparing cocaine to weak tea. Okay. (laughs) There's caffeine does nothing compared to them, but you've got this brain that's full of cortisol and full of adrenaline, right? When you wake up, but you wait just 90 minutes, both of those will naturally start to drop. And then when you do drink caffeine, it will actually lift the cortisol and the adrenaline. It'll give you more bang for your buck. So I tell people, look, if you wake up at six, have your first cup at 730. You don't really want to go more than another cup, probably 90 minutes later. And then if you can cut it off completely. So then what about people who wake up not naturally energetic in the morning? Like, I mean, uh, because for me, I wake up with a lot of energy in the morning. I can like jump out of bed, but then there's people who are like really dragging ass like in that morning stage, you know? So what do they do? Like, where is their adrenaline and cortisol? So here's the deal is the closer they get to having a regular wake up time, the more consistently they will have that cortisol and adrenaline bump every single morning that is predictable. So Mm -hmm. it all comes back to my number one recommendation, which is wake up at the same time every single day of the week, preferably based on your chronotype. Within seven to 14 days, usually I get those people having a lot more energy in the morning just because of the consistency of this wake up time. Now, to be fair, they complain a lot you know, especially on Saturday mornings. I don't want to get up at 630. Nobody's awake. I'm finally catching up on my sleep. I'm like, read a book. Okay. Go for a walk, like do something for yourself at that time. Number one, when was the last time you did something just for yourself? Most people, especially high achievers, they do stuff for everybody else, but rarely for themselves. That Saturday morning and Sunday morning could be used for planning, could be used for aspirations, could be used for meditation, breath work. There's a whole host of things that you could do just for yourself and become more functional. So then what, like, you know, the concept of catching up on sleep, right? Is that like a real thing if someone no, is sleeping? Okay. So let's talk about it. There was a great study that was done about six months ago, and I'm going to go into a little bit of detail here, but I think you're going to find it interesting. Mm-hmm. So they took a group of 50 people and they watched them for six weeks. So this was not mm-hmm. a short study very highly populated study. What they did was they only got five hours of sleep during the week and eight hours on the weekend. Okay. So this was monitored. So we know exactly how much sleep these people get. They retested them every single Monday after they got their catch-up sleep, so-called, on the weekends. Here's what they measured, mood, attention, focus, and memory. Every single one of the participants on Monday would say, 
oh my gosh, I feel so much better. I've caught up on all my sleep. Every one of them showed decrements in they thought they were awake, but their performance told the true story. And every single week, their performance got worse and worse and worse. So people are saying, I'm killing it. And they're not even coming close to killing it because their brain is telling them you caught up on sleep. So I'm here to tell you, you don't catch up on sleep. What you can do is you can have a good sleep schedule and you can wake up at the right time each day and your body will adapt and adjust to it. And you'll have plenty of energy and you won't need caffeine every day. I promise. That is wild that like this study show that's crazy because I swear to you, like everyone I speak to is like, yeah, yeah. Like I don't sleep much during the week, but the weekend is my time to sleep in. And oh my God. Well, I want to like play this on a loudspeaker. Just go down the street. I mean, there's real data on it. There was actually a study that came out just this week that looked at a different type of catch up sleep. And what they discovered was people who had acute chronic sleep deprivation. So that five hours during the week, even if they had eight hours for a week straight, they still didn't catch up. Whoa. Okay. So everyone just needs to decide that wake up time and like really stick to it. It's not as hard as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. I think once you kind of get into it and you like, what I always tell people is look, do something with your bed partner. If you have a bed partner or if you have an accountability buddy, have somebody call you in the morning at whatever time and Mm -hmm. say, Hey, wake up sunshine. It's time to go. You know, like have somebody help you out at the beginning. Because let's be honest, this shit is hard. Like there's nothing fun about waking up at six o'clock in the morning on Saturday mornings, right? If that's your time. But you know what? I feel like the more you do it, the more your body almost expects it. Because for me, I wake up naturally at the same time without an alarm. Right. So that's when you've hit success. So when you can wake up every day at roughly the same time without an alarm, you are now perfectly timed into your chronotypical swim lane. And that's what I'm looking for. Okay. That's really, really, yeah. I mean, so that's what people should strive for. So I want to go back to what you said about sunshine for 15 minutes. Why is that important in the morning? So it's interesting about eight or nine years ago, they discovered a very particular cell in your eyeball called a melanopsin cell, which is very sensitive to something called blue light. So lots of people have heard about blue light from computer screens, from telephones, blah, blah, blah. Blue light is in every form of light, just to be clear, okay? Any white light that you've got, you know, in your cans above you or or on your desk has blue in it. That wavelength uh, turns out to be between 460 and 480 nanometers. When that wavelength hits your eyeball, Mm -hmm. here's what happens. Is it sends a signal to your brain to turn off the melatonin faucet in your head. This is why we don't like blue light at night, but we love blue light in the mornings because it clears out the brain fog. So many people are like, Michael, I've got brain fog. No, you don't. Go outside. Breathe 15 times outside for 15 minutes. Well, actually, you'd need to breathe a lot more than that. Go outside. Spend some time in the sun. Number one, vitamin D is a circadian pacemaker, and it only takes 15 to 20 minutes of sun exposure for you to get the amount of vitamin D that you need daily. And number two, that sunshine turns off that melatonin faucet at the same time. I mean, it's like you're getting a twofer. So it's literally like you you wake up and you should go out right away. I would say within 15 minutes, do me a favor, put on a robe. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Neighbors would not be happy. <laughs> it's true. I mean, some of your neighbors might be thrilled. Other of your neighbors <laughs> might not be so happy. So we'll, we'll talk about that later. So what about using a phone first thing in the morning? Is that something that you're like 
against? Like, does it make an impact? Well, what does it do? Here's what I would say is I think it makes more of an emotional impact than it does a physical impact. So mm. for me, when I wake up in the mornings, I'm very cautious. I don't look at the clock. I know what time it is because I wake up at the same damn time every single day. I get my dogs ready. I do my breath work. I do my meditation. Then I, oh, and then I exercise. Then I look at my phone and I'll tell you why. My phone is stressful. I don't know about mm-hmm. yours, but yeah. it's like oh every gosh, time yes. I look at it, there's 20 texts on there. There's 15 emails. So many people want it. I don't need that when I wake up in the morning. You know what I need when I wake up in the morning? Calm. I need to set my brain. I need to set my intentions. I need to set my breath. And then I go about my day. And I find that I'm much more productive when I have a morning like that. Believe it or not, I do a Zoom call every morning with about 30 guys from all over the country. And we do breath work together. We do Wim Hof breath work where we're doing the hyperventilation and the holds. And then uh, we do a heart-centered meditation. And then we wish each other a great day. I mean, I got 30 guys every morning telling me to have a good day. How can I go wrong? You know, yeah, I don't need to yeah. look at my phone. I need to hang out with some people. <laughs> no, it's true. And like, I, I mean, I feel like every time I look at my phone, I mean, I, I've like now come off this habit where I just don't do that anymore. But I've, I noticed such like a, an improvement in my day when I stopped doing that, like the rise in cortisol when you're just you wake up and you're just looking at all these notifications. It's it's not productive. No. And, and also depending upon the types of things that you're interested in, some things are, you have to pay attention that quickly. Like a perfect Mm -hmm. example is I have a lot of friends who've been talking to me lately about cryptocurrencies. Right. And I mean, when you look overnight, something can go like this and something, and you know, people are constantly looking, it's like, dude, you need to relax, you know, like pick a different hobby. Yeah, it's true. Like, I mean, just first thing in the morning, I feel like it is for calm and it really sets the tone for the day as well. Yeah. And I think I think if you have that intention in the morning, I think it also comes through by the end of the day, because remember, towards the end of the day is when you're you're really going to start dragging a little bit more, depending upon your energy, depending upon your food intake, what's kind of going on there. So setting those intentions in the morning, I would argue, does a lot of good allowing you to get through your day. Yeah, totally. So then what about phone usage right before bed? Like what does blue light do to you right before going to sleep? So does it have an effect? Sure. Is it the greatest effect in the universe? No, it's not. Okay. Like just be smart. Right. So uh, my wife falls asleep with the television on every single night, every night. I'm the sleep doctor for God's sakes. Okay. And my wife falls asleep with the TV on. So I studied her and what I discovered was that she's not even watching it. She's listening to it out of what I call the Mm. corner of her ear. So it's just enough of a distraction for her to allow her to fall asleep. So I don't really care because her eyes are closed and she's kind of listening to it. I use an eye mask so it doesn't bother me at all. And quite frankly, I don't even really hear it. That's a situation that works well for her. But if she was on her phone trying to get her high score on Candy Crush before she goes to bed, I got news for you. She ain't going to sleep anytime soon, right? So it's that emotional valence that's there, you know, where you're looking on Facebook and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe my friend did this. That's not what you want to be doing before bed. I always tell people that sleep is not an on-off switch. It's more like slowly pulling your foot off the gas and slowly putting your foot on the brake. You need need some runway to land the plane, right? So give yourself that time before bed. So I, I stop most electronic use about an hour before bed. I'll read, I'll meditate, I play with my dogs, you know, those kind of things, like things that are genuinely useful and happy, 
for me. There's actually data to show optimism before bed not only helps you fall asleep more quickly, but gives you more positive dreams. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's really, really cool. I mean, it makes sense as well. But yeah, that's really, really interesting. So you have a new book coming out. Tell me about the new book. So the book is called Energize, How to Go from Dragging Ass to Kicking It in 30 Days. So we took the chronotype idea and we layered body types on top of it. So if you remember way back to high school, there was endomorph, mesomorph, and ectomorph, right? And we all Mm. seemed to fall into one of those categories. What we did was we took 5,000 people and we gave them that quiz who already had done the chronotype quiz. And we discovered that there were actually hidden chronotypes inside of other ones based on movement. So we were able to actually personalize. So not only can we personalize timing of exercise, timing of sex, timing of sleep, but now we can actually tell you based on your body type, which exercises you do best, which ones you'll like the most and which ones will be the most effective at giving you all day energy. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about caffeine and what does somebody do in the new book? We have what's called the five and five. So for five minutes, five times a day, you'll do these exercises. It's not enough to break a sweat, but it is enough to get your body moving, your metabolism moving, and your energy moving. We have different ones throughout the day um, that you can do. Um, In the morning, it's more of a stretch. Then in the earlier morning, it's more of a bounce. Then in the later afternoon, it's a build. Then there's one that's cardio. So there's a bunch of different ones, but again, you'll never break a sweat, but you will be given a personalized exercise routine that now goes with your personalized sleep routine. And then we've also added intermittent fasting on top of that. To be honest with you, going into a diet book at this point, there's a lot of people out there that do diet books better than me. I think you can use whatever diet you want, but if you use an intermittent fasting schedule, it can be very, very helpful, again, to help maintain that energy level. So then since you have written about this and this book is coming out, tell me about your thoughts on intermittent fasting. Like what's the correlation between food and sleep, if any? So number one, there's a huge relationship between food and sleep. Let's just get that out there. Uh, Food affects our ability to sleep. The amount of food in our belly can have an effect on how, on the quality of our sleep and the type of food in our belly can have an effect on our type of sleep. So Got to be honest, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but sugar is not our friend, especially processed sugar. Now, look, I love ice cream. Okay. I do. I'm I'm more than willing to admit it, but I've got to really keep it on a limited schedule because of the effect that it can have having a lot of sugar before bed. Because quite frankly, it turns to fat, which is something that we obviously want to avoid. And it's not the good kind of fat either. It's not brown fat. It's white fat, which is again, not really good for you. So high sugar is probably not a good idea before bed. So unfortunately, desserts may need to, you know, head out, have your dessert at lunch, you know, so you can work it off or something like that. Um, Number two, spicy food, spicy food. If your stomach is not used to it can absolutely cause some levels of indigestion, gastroesophageal reflux, things of that nature, which can be disruptive to sleep. Also, you'll learn that um, if you have sleep apnea, even a mild case of it, it can actually make reflux worse. And that can actually cause problems with food and sleep as well. Generally speaking, I like people to stop eating their biggest meal by about three hours before bed. This gives you enough time to clear the food. should only take you about 40 minutes or so to clear it, but getting it deep into the digestive tract and getting those nutrients involved is going to be important because remember, sleep is recovery, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we do when we sleep is our body recovers. So we want to have all those nutrients and we want to have all those vitamins in there. So that way people are going to be using them to recover during sleep. But you also don't want to go to bed hungry either. So let's say you finished eating at six 
and you're going to go to bed at 930 and your stomach is growling like a bear and you don't know what to do, take a 250 calorie snack, about 70% carbs and about 30% protein or fat. Now you're probably saying carbs before bed. Michael, what are you talking about? So remember, carbohydrates increase serotonin, which is the calming hormone. This actually helps us fall asleep. But look at the carbs that you're eating. So I would say have an apple with some nut butter on it, like some almond butter on it, right? Have a rice cake with some avocado, right? Things like that are good snacks. Again, 250 calories or less, good fat, good protein, a little bit of carbs helps you go to bed. That's super, super interesting. But then, so you wouldn't be storing the uh, the carbs like as fat, even like just because if you're having it right before bed? So again, this is why you would limit it to 250 calories. So yes, you will. And there is, a, so as an example, if somebody is saying, hey, I'm on a very strict you know, keto diet where I'm not having carbs, then you could do a keto snack before bed. But remember, like all other diets, keto is a great example. If you start to do a keto or a paleo diet, you get the keto flu. What's the Mm -hmm. keto flu? You can't sleep. Why? Because you've got so much protein in your system. Remember, carbohydrates aren't the enemy. You just have to have the right kind of carbohydrates. I love intermittent fasting. I've been an intermittent faster for three years. I actually do intermittent fasting based on my chronotype. So because I'm a wolf, I start eating much later and I can continue to eat later because I stay up later. So what we did in the book was we tailored your intermittent fasting schedule to your chronotypical bedtime. So we found that that's been, I have no data on it yet, but we found that that's been very effective for many people. So then if you're an early riser, you should stop eating earlier and start eating earlier as well. Okay. Correct. And then what's the window that you recommend? Like, is it like a 12, a 16? Like, what is it that you recommend? So everybody's different. And I think you have to kind of feel that out. I always tell people you want to start out with an eight hour or 10 hour eating window just to get comfortable with it. And then you can start to shrink it. In the book, we recommend 816 right? So uh, eight hours of feeding, 16 hours of fasting. Some people might go uh, a 618 if they wanted to do something, you know, really uh, restrictive. I wouldn't recommend going lower than that. You don't want to only be eating for like four out of 20 hours, 24 hours in a day. It's just not good. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. And then I think like the last question actually that I have for you is to do with napping. What are your thoughts here? And can someone like optimize how they nap or should they even be napping to begin with? So remember, if you're getting enough sleep at night, you probably don't need a nap. Also, mm-hmm. if you have insomnia, never, ever, ever nap. Okay. What it does is it lowers your sleep drive and just makes your insomnia worse. But let's say It was one of those nights where you only got five hours of sleep and you are dragging ass. Yeah, then you would want to do a nap. But be careful. There's lots of different types of naps. My favorite nap is a short 25-minute nap because it's kind of like a power nap. You don't get into the deepest stages of sleep, but it does. Mm -hmm. it is incredibly refreshing. It appears as though we have a small temperature drop right around between one and three in the afternoon. So that really is your optimal time for napping. And again, I would limit it to about 25 minutes or less. I've also created something that I call a nap latte. So this is a technique where you take a cup of drip black coffee and you drink it before the nap. Then you take the 25 minute nap. Remember we were talking about adenosine and caffeine and how similar they are. This allows when you're sleeping to burn through some adenosine, the caffeine clicks in you're good for four hours guaranteed. It's awesome. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. I think a lot of people will probably be interested in trying this. 
Oh yeah, it works really, really well. And there's even some new products that are coming out uh, that that do something like this. Uh, one product that I just found out about is called Nap Jitsu, believe it or not, and it's specific for napping. Uh, yeah, it's just it's coming out uh, actually sometime in the next couple of weeks. So oh. Okay. Wow. That's really interesting. Well, Michael, this has been a joy. Tell everyone where they can find you, website, Instagram, where can they buy your new book, all of that. Absolutely. So um, the new book, if you go to energizemyself.com, you can learn all about it, buy the book, take the quiz, have some fun. We have a pre-order program. So anybody that pre-orders, we're creating a video boot camp that'll walk you through the book before you even get it, which is lots of fun. For me in general, social media, it's always the sleep doctor and doctors all spelled out. I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and TikTok. Lord only knows what I, I have a big TikTok following now. I, I mean, Do you I, really? I did a banana tea uh, TikTok and I got like a half a million views. I was like, holy cow. So, okay, wait, before, before we leave then, tell everyone what banana tea is. So banana tea is a great way to get your magnesium. Um, and so it turns out that the peel of the banana has three times the amount of magnesium as the fruit itself. So take an organic banana and just wash it off, cut it in half, take off the stem and the tip, leave the fruit in and the peel on it, and just drop it into three cups of boiling water. So all I've done is I've washed off a banana and I'm boiling it for about five minutes. When the banana turns brown, drink the water. It's very banana tasting, but it's loaded with magnesium. It's easy for kids, for seniors. It won't interact with any other medications. I got one mom and she pours it into popsicle molds and gives it to her kids as a dessert and they have no idea and they're out like a light. That is so cool. Well, everyone will have to go follow you on TikTok. And yeah, this was awesome. I'm so excited for the interview to come out and I'm sure people will love it. No, absolutely. And if people want, don't forget, new book, energizemyself.com. I'm getting it immediately. Like I'm going to the website like immediately after the interview. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week.